Welcome to the Bottle of Brown podcast. I am your host, Danny Paul. Joining me in the Bob Media Studios tonight is the Baron of Bourbon, the Raja of Real Estate, the Liege Lord of Loathe. That's right, Leon. Come to you, ladies and gentlemen. Danny, I'm especially pissed off tonight, so I think Aww. it's going to be a good show. I like it. Let's butter you up and slap you on some bread. Hopefully first, we have a, uh, an upper to go with my downer tonight. Oh, let's find out. Let's get all to uh, to the other Vysos joining us here in the Bob Media Studios. He is the Pharaoh of Finance, the Wizard of the World Cup, the Sultan of SWAT, Mr. Jones, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yes! Danny, Danny, that could have been the most fitting opening as... Uh, as uh, all the bobs out there, we got a beautiful, you like it. beautiful game. It's about like to kick it. off in a oh. torturous country, but whatever. We're uh, all excited for World Cup. Go That's USA right. That's right. Can't the, wait Olymp- for it. the Olympics of football. Here we go. Well, uh, since, tonight. since Leon has a horrible day, which I'm sure we'll get to in a little bit, uh, you seem to be having a good time, Mr. Jones. I am having a good time as well because... For those of you listening, we had a very special trip. I actually went up to the bays of the areas and I hung out with Mr. Jones and we had a very, very special night. And we'll talk about that at the end of our What's Your Brown segment. Let's start with What's Your Brown? What are you drinking tonight, Mr. Jones? Uh, You know, an oldie but a goodie brings me back to college. It is the lovely Johnny Walker Black Label. Ah, Can't go wrong. Is that a, what size is that? <laughs> this is Smoky the, and this sexy is, with a handle. This is the one three quarter. Uh, it's the big one. We call that the big one good night bottle. That's a nice, very nice. The, the one that fits so well in the cabinet and very tall. Mm. All good, yummy, really loving it. How about you, Leon? What are you drinking too much of tonight? Uh, tonight... Uh, I am having the Colonel E.H. Taylor small. The Colonel! Oh, it is, it is one of the best out there. And it's uh it's it's definitely one of those ones that's a special occasion. And uh I, I need a special occasion. Fair, fair. Our condolences go out to Leon's day. Hopefully we can get through this episode and bring a couple laughs his way. The Incident that I'm referring to is I went to go visit Mr. Jones up in the East Bay of Bays. Time out. And he, Time out. What? Time out. What? What's your brand? I'm getting into it. So it's around the world story, but the journey is important. Stay with me. To Stay make with a short me, Jimbo. Story long. Okay, got it. Stay with me, Jimbo. I'm going to insert some here verbs here. here. I'm going to insert some verbs. Ready? Pack your bags, guys. We went to Going an axe throwing bar and he said, Look at that. And I went, Oh, wow. What a great selection of whiskeys. He said, Did you see that one? And I said, No. And it was the Pappy 23. Ooh. And so yeah, we did said, you try it? fuck it, why not? And we got a Pappy 23 and we got a Pappy 20. Mm-hmm. And ooh, ooh, ooh. it was an expensive but necessary bucket list moment. Gotta do it. 
with pictures, touch. which was kind of funny because mm-hmm. you remember, Jay, they wouldn't let us touch the bottle. They're so like, you can take a picture, but you can't touch the bottles. All right. No touching. I guess there's magicians that come in here. Very measured. Very measured pour. And I have um, to say the 23 was exquisite. The 20? Oh, no. Hmm. Good. But the character what, was better at 23. What was what were the notes? What do you what do you think of it? Was it smoky? It was it was velvet. It was mm-hmm. it was the most loveliest thing ever. And I thought the 20 was a little bit harsher. 20 have more of a hug, Jay. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Definitely a little more hug, a lot more smooth. Vanilla, uh, cherry, coffee. Um, just coffee. Yeah, like kind of a great combo. And it 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 moved so well. And maybe for what it was, it was just an experience of you know, bliss. It's done. Did it. I feel happy. Thank you, Pappy. <laughs> and so in the spirit of that night, I have the W.L. Weller, Original Wheated Bourbon Special Reserve. Ah, same compliments recipe. Of, compliments same. of Mr. Jones. For those of you that don't know, the W.L. Weller is the secret, what would you say, best kept secret of the bourbon world? Pretty much, if you can yeah. find it. Yeah. It's, it's, find, it, find it for what it's worth, not overpaying for it, as its scarcity drives up price in secondary markets. But when you can find it, the Special Reserve, it is the... I'd say the holy grail of a $16 bottle of booze. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm. Nothing better. There is nothing. There's no better value than, than Weller, but I would say uh, the only knock I have on Weller is the screw top. Yeah. That is kind of discount. Mm, Yeah. Well, that's that $16. It's a pressed bottle with a seam on the side and a screw top, but you know what? Think of it as the dirty, the dirty, (laughs) rusty, ugly, dented lamp that Aladdin picked up because that's what this is. It's got a genie in it. Triple B from a distance says there's a lot better values out there. Oh, oh, (laughs) $16. (laughs) Put her on the mic. She's too far away. Yeah, of course she is. All right. Well, we'll do a triple B segment of of what she says is. She actually, she's pretty good because she set up the brown bracket for us. So we kind of have to give her some credence on testing things out. But better than Weller. Hmm. Special segment coming up in the near future. Anyway, (laughs) now that we talked about Brown, let's talk about Brown. How you doing? Whiskey and whiskey. This is the darkest brown you got. Yeah. Say, Holmes, uh, where they hiding the scotch? What about, um, brown? That's code for bourbon. Great stuff, this bourbon. Comes from a land called Kentucky. Talk about brown. There's a special rung in hell reserved for people who waste good scotch. Scotch? Oh, yes, I, I think so. Could I have one more of these with some booze in it, please? Nice talk about brown comes to us from The Insider. Now, I found the old fish. 2009 Scotch Whiskey Act, and I found it for reals. It's a PDF from scotchwhiskey.org.uk. I'll post that in the show notes along with the link to this article. But last time, this is more for Mr. Jones's benefit because Leon knows exactly what I'm talking about. We got into a discussion of different types, and there was a rule about Scotch that I didn't know. And as the Scotch aficionado of the group, I was very ashamed. So had to do a deep dive on what it is to be quote unquote scotch. And good thing is there are official rules for scotch as in there are official rules for bourbon. And so I found this little review here. 
What is whiskey? The article begins, whiskey is a very broad category of spirit that can be divided up into many subcategories. There's bourbon, rye, Irish whiskey, Japanese whiskey, and of course, scotch. Whiskey is basically a spirit that is distilled from fermented grains, which is a fancy way of saying you make a beer with grains and then boil it to create a more concentrated alcoholic liquid. The well, grains. Did they, did they just straight up bitch slap uh, Canadian whiskey there? <laughs> I don't see any Canadian whiskey mentioned at all. Completely ignored no. it. They went straight yeah. to Japanese whiskey, which is kind of sacrilege, don't you think? <laughs> I mean, how did Japan trump Canada? They've been doing Crown Royal forever. Well, they gave you rye. That's like an honorable mention, right? Because the Canadians yeah. don't drink rye. No. 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 I just love it. No point <laughs> idiot who. No point. Just no point steering now, right? Throwing out the great white north. All right. Well, let's see if they redeem themselves. The grains commonly used in making whiskey are barley, corn, wheat, and rye, combination of grains used to make an individual whiskey is known as the mash bill. Each grain imparts the finished whiskey with slightly different flavor characteristics, as we like to talk about on the Bottle of Brown podcast. Once distilled whiskey is always aged in wooden barrels, which are often oak. They've been charred on the inside. Barrel aging contributes heavily to the flavor, overall character of the whiskey. Contact between the distillate and the wood of the barrel causes the whiskey to darken, taking on that amber color, which gives it the brown. Brown. That we love so much. Contact with the wood also adds caramel and vanilla flavors to the whiskey. Mm. Which but. you, you two have tried to do, uh, oh, I would say. Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Steve. That's right. You got Steve. Steve. to speed the process or trick the process by putting those in there. Age and it would longer. You say, That's right. We took a and, barrel, we turned it inside out, and we put it in the whiskey. And and oh, success! Completely. If I recall, it okay. worked well. Yeah, I think it worked yeah. well. I'm right. I, I'm a fan. I need to do another one. Yeah, you know, and I have some left. We should do another one, and we should talk about it. Yeah, we'll pick up. We'll pick another one. We'll try a different one. Okay. So, well, well, make sure you have it ready when I come out there for when the Dolphins are in the Super Bowl. Okay, it's in Arizona, right? Yeah. When's yeah. that going to be? This year. This Why don't you year. come out for the Super Bowl anyway? Because I got a great spot. I know exactly where to park, and we can just wander the parking lot. Sounds amazing. And there's a top golf across the freeway. And there's a really fun golf tournament that weekend. Oh. Oh. All right. Future plans for another time. Back to Scotch. Scotch. Excuse me. I digress. Scotch is a specific style of whiskey in the same way that bourbon is a type of whiskey. The name Scotch broadly describes any whiskey produced in Scotland. Scotch is a diverse subcategory of whiskey with many local traditions, regional variations, and legal restrictions that produce a huge variance in flavor. Some scotches are sweet with notes of caramel and vanilla, while others are smoky, briny, and more savory. Unlike American whiskeys, which are mostly made from corn and rye, Scotch whiskey is primarily made of malted barley, which is barley that's been soaked in water, partially germinated, and then dried. This stops the germination at the right moment to produce the most flavor, giving scotch a distinct malty aroma that separates it from bourbon and rye. Now, Also a main ingredient in beer, if I'm correct Mm. on that. Yes, well, you know, the browns are all related at some point. Mm. Generally speaking, scotch whiskey has strict legal requirements that distillers must meet, as in the Scotch Whiskey Act of 2009. Of course, to be considered scotch, the whiskey must be fermented, distilled, and aged in 
Scotland. No ifs, ands, uh, or buts. Okay. Only ingredients allowed in the production of scotch are grains, yeast, water, and caramel coloring. Hmm. A little weird for that last one, but it's kind of Reinheit's Gabote, right? Would you say? Mm-hmm. Maybe. The mash bill, scotch must be distilled primarily of malted barley. Other cereal grains like core, rye, and wheat may be added to make a blended scotch, which I have a separate topic on. The next time we do brown news, we're going to talk about blended scotches and why they're the redheaded stepchild of the scotch world. Mm -hmm. Proof. Scotch must be distilled to at least 190 proof. And then after aging, must be bottled at no lower than 80. If you got a scotch that's 79 proof or below, it is false. It's a faker. It does not deserve to be drank. Throw it away. And you're you're cheap. Or give it to the neighbor you don't like. (laughs) And finally, aging. Scotch must be aged for no less than three years in oak barrels. When a bottle of scotch displays an age statement, the youngest whiskey blended in that bottle must be at least as old as the displayed age statement. Common for scotch whiskeys to have age statements of 12 years or higher. And what is a very funny meme that I saw is Leonardo DiCaprio is about to drink a scotch and he says, how old is this scotch? And the bartender says, oh, it's 25 years. And Leo spits it out because Leo doesn't have anything over 25. Oh, but um, boom. For those of you at home, that was a joke about Leo's sex life. He only likes the young, sweet ingenues. Uh, so basically what you're going to get down to is you're going to get down to single malts and blends, right? So, and so if you think of that line from Swingers. Can we go back real quick? When you talk oh, about you want to go barrels, back? Isn't the barrels used wine barrels? They don't use new barrels. They don't use new barrels for sure, but they're not necessarily wine. There are the other barrels because just, they char them right. so much that it takes correct. out all the flavor, right? That is just, correct. Just to clarify. So they need to be charred and, and they, they need take, to be they need to be oak. They take a lot of bourbon barrels, actually. They do. Bourbon's uh, gotta be the one time. Yep, they do. <laughs> they take the bourbon barrels, they ship them over to Scotland and they make scotch and they send it back. Mm-hmm. I hate I hate keep derailing this though, but the fact that it has to be done in Scotland, I would love to know what the temperature ranges are in Scotland versus Kentucky. Because if and you're cold? gonna say it's the barrel that makes the flavor. Uh, obviously the mash bill and all of that is important, but it's the barrel. And they would say that it's the breathing of the barrel, right? The barrel gets, the warm, air gets warm, the air gets cold, the air gets warm, the air gets cold. And that's what sucks it in and out of the barrel and gives it its flavor. Is Scotland, Scotland's just always cold. Like how much, how much breathing can it go in and out of that barrel? I have to wonder because it's such such a high latitude that maybe there's some areas that get a lot of sunlight. And so maybe the sun pours down on the Rick house. I'm reaching. I don't know. Something to think about. Uh, So there's only two types listed here, which is a single malt and a blended scotch. And so if you think back to Johnny Favreau's line from Swingers, I'll take a a scotch, uh, Glenlivet, Glenfiddich, any, uh, any Glen, any single malt, as long as it's not a blend, of course. Glenn Livett, Glenn Fiddick, any Glenn. Any Glenn. Any Glenn will do. Uh, but of course, here at the Bottle of Brown podcast, the home scotch is a blend. It's Johnny Walker mm. Green. So what can I say? Perhaps I'm violating the oath. 
Oh, here we go. You might get to some of these, might get to answer your question here, Leon. So Scotch whiskey regions, five legally recognized regions in Scotland where whiskey is produced, kind of like New York City. The Highlands, the Lowlands, the Islands, Speyside, and Islay. Single malt whiskeys from different regions can have dramatically different flavor profiles. These differences are caused by production decisions. Two regions most familiar to drinkers in the U.S. are Islay and Speyside. The majority of single malt Scotch whiskey comes from Speyside next to the River Spey. Biggest brands, Glenlivet, Glenfiddich, Any Glen, Balvenie, the Macallan, the Macallan, all come from Speyside. Sweet notes of fruit, caramel, and vanilla. The most distinctive Scotch whiskeys come from the Islay region, uh, where they use peat to dry the barley. Peat is, what do, what do, we, what do we call peat? Moss? Mm. Dirty, dirty, it's muddy gross, grass. It's the gross part of scotch. Mm-hmm. Pass. Uh, so the peat, which you can look at, they gotta, they gotta dig it up with a shovel, and it's usually just like mud with green fuzz on top. The burning of the peat is infused in the barley, gives Islay whiskeys their classic strong, smoky aroma. Along with smoke, these whiskeys generally have complex flavor notes of brine and iodine, which can be a bit challenging for beginners. Popular peated whiskeys come from Ardbeg, Lafrague, Bruchladach, and Lagvillen. Mm. And wonder, of course, though, just like any any time I eat food, I'm like, who's the brave asshole that found this thing out? Who figured out that you know what we're gonna that moss over there? I'm gonna burn <laughs> that up and put it in there. That's gonna make it better. That'll, that'll, that'll taste better. That'll, that'll set us apart. Well, I mean, you have to think back to the dawn of time where the first brown was like, somebody's like, you going to drink that? They're like, yeah. Okay. Boom. The discovery of our lives. Like anything that like, we're going to pick this barley. Mm, It smells good. You know what you got to do first? Soak it. (laughs) Let it get a little bit moldy. (laughs) Then and only then will you use it. Okay. Sounds like you're tricking me, but I'll do it. Listen, all we have is all this grain. What do we do? Throw it in the bathtub. We'll just drink that. <laughs> like stone fire. soup. Uh, scotch is known for its complexity and nuance, so it isn't often used in mixing cocktails. Goddamn right. In most whiskey cocktails, it makes more sense to use more affordable, spicier, high-proof whiskey like bourbon or rye. Oh. Insiders throwing shade on your shit, Leon. I'm not scared. There Any are a day. few popular cocktails that use scotch as a base spirit. However, the Bobby Burns is a classic blended scotch cocktail made with sweet vermouth, similar to a Manhattan. The penicillin is a modern classic invented by Sam Ross that mixes blended scotch with lemon juice, ginger syrup, and honey syrup with a float of Islay scotch on top to add a hint of smoke. The penicillin. Hmm. Might have to try that. Uh, In closing, steeped in history and tradition, scotch is one of the most diverse and iconic styles of whiskey. Whether you enjoy a floral and fruity space side or a smoky and briny Islay scotch, every time you take a sip, you're tasting centuries of Scottish craftsmanship distilled into one bottle. You know, I've always thought of scotch as white collar and bourbon as blue collar, and I don't know why. Price. Scotch is expensive. That's probably fair. that way. That's probably fair. I mean, your your white collar has to be pure and perfect. Your single malts and your single malts are, I mean, the price point is so much higher. I mean, shit. 
who who can freaking afford that at like you know a college or you know your early age you know i i think well, when I you think get older maybe maybe you move on and you start drinking more scotch perhaps single if you maybe. if you put the nice bourbon against the nice scotch then yeah that would work but you can get cheap scotches i mean red label's cheap yeah yeah i get that but red labels blended i'm trying he's talking about white and collar kind of you know oh you mean like a really cheap single malt well i I think i just kind of i just chalk it up to being pretentious like it's pretentious for no reason how about this like you know scotches are longer age than many bourbons Mm. in in my opinion yeah how many 18 how many 18 year bourbons are there yeah like like 18 year mccallan is like it's nice it's really it's i mean but that's like I mean, what, 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 what's the average bourbon that you would say 12 years, like a 12 year bourbon? No, I would say average is probably six to eight. If you're yeah, six bourbons, to eight. bourbons are pretty young by, by comparison, but by comparison though, like let's go a higher end <clears throat> bourbon. What would you think the age is 12? Yeah. Well, a 12 year bourbons. That's nice. I mean, like we had a, we right? had a 23 Pappy and that was very expensive and very nice, but that's not your typical bourbon. Typical bourbon yeah, is that, somewhere around six to 12 years, right? Yeah, that's like a 25-year McAllen or whatever. Too, yeah, yeah. You put them side by side. And uh, oh, to one, example. Of, one of Leon's favorite points is you're putting this shit in the ground or in a barrel in a, in a warehouse, and you're going to wait a couple decades before you pop the bung and go to town. So Fucking nuts. There's a considerable mm-hmm. amount of investment in time and hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And loss along the way. We hope. You wish. <laughs> I wish a motherfucker would. Sorry. <laughs> that wraps up talking about Brown. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get into business news. And I got news for you. Nice business news comes to us from Kiplinger. This one was interesting to me because this comes on the tail end of a conversation that I've been the kind of fulcrum in between General Tizzo and Mr. Jones on whether or not you pay it off. And what we're looking at here is a banker in finance who deals with money every day and a serial entrepreneur who bootstraps every single one of his businesses, loves cash, and has no debt. And what we're dealing with here is perhaps Midwest versus coastal elite, but I'm going to let that one play out in the dialogue and he's not here to defend himself. So I'm going to have to stand in and kind of be the devil's advocate. And then Leon, wherever you want to fall in this argument, you jump in. Okay. But the basic sentiment is, do you pay off all debt period? If you can, as fast as you can, or do you play the rates and go for your best possible return? And so I'm going to get into the article and at some point we're probably going to veer off of that and go in the direction that this conversation that Mr. Jones and I've had multiple times, but I wanted to have a Just basis. For clarity, for we're talking about long-term assets too. We're not talking about credit cards. So don't, uh, yes, Bob's don't yes. need credit cards. We're not yeah, talking the Bob's, about that. The Bob's we're going on, we're going on long-term assets, 10 plus year asset loans, 10 or five. You can go look at it as a car too, depending on how you want to look at it. You can be a five okay. to 10 year loan. So All right. five to All 10 right, so year. Five, so five years is the cutoff. Yeah, I'd say that. All right, I like it. Let's do it. 
In a recent conversation with a long-term client, Rush Griffith, a Schwab financial planner in Dallas, discussed the decision she was grappling with, paying off her mortgage or keeping her money in the stock market. Rather than watch her investments weather the ups and downs of the market, the soon-to-be retiree sold a significant portion of her stocks and paid off her roughly $135,000 mortgage. When I asked her which scenario would make you most happy, she quickly shouted out that no longer having a mortgage would be reaching a milestone she never thought possible. No-brainer. Many people strive to pay off their mortgage before they retire. It's a legitimate objective, especially when you consider that 73% of seniors said their home is their most valuable asset. A 2021 survey by American Advisors Group found when you buy a home, your goal is to own it one day and retirement is a good goalpost for paying off your mortgage, said Rob Williams, Managing Director of Financial Planning at Schwab. But wiping out your mortgage before you retire isn't always the best financial move. Having fewer bills to pay in retirement makes your retirement savings go further and your mortgage payment is typically your biggest monthly expense, says David Edmiston, founder and lead advisor of Next Phase Financial Planning in Prescott. However, there are other aspects pre-retirees need to consider before they use a large amount of their savings to pay off their loan. It's not uncommon to retire with a mortgage. Between 1989 and 2016, the share of homeowners ages 65 to 79 with mortgage debt more than doubled from 17 to 43%, with a median balance of $77,000, according to a report by the Harvard Joint Center for Housing Studies. So they give you a couple of different scenarios here. Do you pay off your mortgage if you want to cut your expenses. Do pay off your mortgage if you have a higher interest rate. Do pay off your mortgage if you can make more money in low-risk investments. Thoughts on that so far? Everyone's situation is going to be different. It's a question of who you are, what you're getting is your income. If you're just living off the Social Security check, depending on where you are, and you might have the means of your situation where you have the ability to pay off your mortgage. Maybe you do. Everyone's different in the, in, in the study here. Um, I think when you staring at retirement, life looks a lot different. Um, you're on that fixed income. This is all it's coming in. Uh, having the security to knowing that your house is paid for. But I think you might be dipping into it again in the future if you're short and you need to do reverse mortgages afterwards or you need to do home equity lines or it's the idea of just where you are in life where you are and how much income you have in retirement and what best fits you and what risk profile you will be which is pretty much what they're getting at here too median monthly mortgage payment for u.s adults age 55 to 64 is 989 dollars, according to value penguin financial research firm who couldn't use an extra grand every month, although you may have less in savings or investments after retiring the loan, reducing your baseline expenses will free up your cash flow for other wants and needs such as travel, entertainment, healthcare, not to mention today's soaring prices on gas and groceries. Uh, if you have a high interest rate, obviously pay that down. That's kind of a general rule in my book is pay off your highest interest rate loans. Uh, what gets dicey is the length of the loan, which is kind of what Mr. Jones is talking about. And then do pay off your mortgage if you can make more money in low-risk investments. I mean, that's just basically your fixed income. Uh, yields on government-issued bonds are very attractive right now. Um, Inflation-adjusted Series I savings bonds, which we talked about last episode, Leon, offered enticing annual interest rates of 9.62%. You got to throw in at least 10 grand on those and you got to hold on to them for two years. So it is a, it's a, it's a gamble. Uh, crunch the numbers to see whether you could make more money paying off your mortgage versus investing in short-term bonds. 
Let's say you have a $100,000 mortgage with a 3% interest rate. By paying off your mortgage, you'd save 3% a year, effectively earning a guaranteed 3% return. But if you use $100,000 to purchase a short-term treasury note with an interest rate above three, yields on three-month treasuries were around 3.34% beginning of October, you could nab a higher return investing $100,000 in short-term treasury notes, depending on the after-tax rate return of your investment. And you're also forgetting too, the after, like the, the, the tax deduction that you get on the interest, depending on where you are, the deduction means something in your taxes. Right. You're talking about the mortgage interest? Yeah. Yeah. So you get a deduction on your mortgage interest, which would give you even further savings if you can find an investment that yields more than your mortgage rate. Uh, but if you do exactly. itemize taxes, compare your after-tax mortgage rate with your after-tax investment rate, and you know that if you took out or refinanced your home loan after December 15th, 2017, mm, the you can deduct interest on only the first 750 Yep. Uh, for mortgages acquired before then, interest on up to a million is deductible. Think of investing your savings in the stock market instead of paying off your mortgage. Consider your risk tolerance, which, of course, is a problem with the volatility and frothiness we're experiencing lately. Now, don't pay off your mortgage if your cash reserves are low. You never want to end up house rich and cash poor. Full stop. Before you pay off your mortgage, make sure you have a solid cash cushion. Money doesn't all have to be in a savings account. It's okay to have a few other interest-bearing assets that are liquid, like short-term corporate bonds or money market accounts. Don't pay off your mortgage if you have other high-interest debt. Again, see above. Pay your highest interest rate first. And don't pay off your mortgage if you're behind on retirement contributions. Borrowed from your 401k? That's a no-no. Other factors to consider. There's an emotional component paying off your mortgage. That's tough to quantify. If you plan to pick up part-time work in retirement, since more income in retirement can help free up cash flow, of the 1,016 Americans age 50 or older who were surveyed by AARP in May, 57% said they expect to work in retirement for financial reasons. Among retirees who are not currently working, 25% said they think they'll need to work during your retirement years out of financial need. Healthcare. Yeah, you got to consider where all that expense is going to come from. Nasty fall, all kinds of bad stuff can happen. Uh, And factor in whether you plan to move. About 226,000 Americans moved when they retired in 2021, according to a survey by Hire a Helper, an online marketplace that connects consumers with local moving companies. If you're planning to relocate and buy a different home, you want to put the extra cash that you have toward a down payment on your next house instead of using it to pay off your existing mortgage. Use the extra cash to make a larger down payment on your new home could be a particularly good idea right now, given the current mortgage market with the 30-year interest rate is around seven points. So as you said before, Mr. J, not an all or nothing decision. You could pay down a large chunk of your mortgage without paying it off completely to shorten how long you're going to be paying off your loan. But it still gets back to the basic idea of, are you comfortable carrying debt or do you want the emotional burden of being debt free? Thoughts on that? Leon, you've been quiet. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll weigh in on uh, John Everyman here. Uh, and a lot of the conversation you've been talking about is put your money here, put your money there. It's not as much. Do you want to pay off your mortgage? You know, do you want to, do you not want to have a house payment? <laughs> and, and I think what I mean is, is some people don't have 
either the knowledge or the self-discipline to use the money for this instead of that. Uh, a good example is you always know those people. And there was a time when I was one of them uh, where you claim zero on your taxes because you love getting that big chunk of money at the end of the year mm -hmm. instead of getting that money all year long. Now, the savvy financier like Mr. Jones here will probably say it makes a lot more sense to have the money now than to let, you know, the tax man hold tax it for man you. hold it for you and they make money but, on it and they don't pay interest. But here's the reality. You're not doing it either. Not normal people, not average people. I they're know. not doing that. They're spending it on, oh, I got $20 in my bank account. Hello, McDonald's. That's what's going to happen. So in all reality, for the 70% of people who don't, that aren't Warren Buffett, that use everything they have as working capital to maximize investments and make sure that their money's making money, Okay, I'm with you. You know, I think, I think when you're one of those people that are like, I need to figure out how much disposable income I have. I'm a retiree. I typically spend $900 a month on my mortgage. If I have the ability to pay that off now and my fixed income is now $900 more, that helps me mentally plan how much I can go get groceries what my vacations are and the stuff that, cause you're in spending mode at retirement, right? You're in spending mode. At least I will be, I'll tell you that right now. I, I won't be in saving mode. I'll be in spending mode because what the fuck I'm, I can't well, take it with me when I die. Well, it's not so, spending, but you want to have some sense of conservative, what you spend your money on, you know, you're, you're going to be more frugal and what you're going to spend and what you can do and budget. I mean, that's what you hope, but you're right. Can't take it with you. My kids can make their own money. Can't take a mortgage with you either. No. Well, that's, nope, that's for the kids to that's the kids to settle out the estate at the end of the day. They can figure out what happens with the house. Period. Yeah. Moving yeah. on. And I don't. I got one kid, so I don't care. So I think <laughs> <laughs> she better be worth it. Yeah. She, she's getting the whole thing. God damn it. Yeah. Her her retirement will be put in. I'll front load it and put it in college because it ain't going to be there at the end because it'll be on. <laughs> It'll be on the golf course. It'll All be right, everywhere honey. except for in her pocket. So let's sit down. We're going to talk about your future. Honey, I, I wanted to get your books, but these Pro V1s run special. Mm -hmm. You're on your own. So look, I get it. If you have money <laughs> and you can take X dollars and you actually take those X dollars and put them to work, it makes sense. This whole conversation makes sense. But the truth is 70, 80% of people, and you know that 90% of all statistics are made up anyway, but 70, 80% of people don't, don't actually do that with money. They park it and they go, Ooh, I got 12 grand in my bank account. I'm going to go buy that jet ski I've always wanted. That's what's going to happen in reality, in real practice. That's what happens. Listen, for the Bobs out there that are, are listening to Leon right now and what he's saying is resonating with you, I would recommend a book called The Richest Man in Babylon. And it's a very interesting book that probably has no factual basis whatsoever. They just decided to stick it at the beginning of time to make it easier for people. But it simplifies the process of if you can take a dime out of every dollar and stick it somewhere and learn to live with the pain, it will help you out big time. So check out The Richest Man in Babylon. I'm going to look up the author so that I can actually know who I'm talking about. But it's a good 
point that talks to what Leon's talking about. You know, it's hard to save. It's hard to be broke. Choose your hard. So for those mm-hmm. of you that are in that situation where you don't have the cash to think about the right quote unquote investment and you're just scraping to get by a couple of months of bologna and cereal, even if that can be done, take a little bit and put it aside because the best opportunity you have is to figure out how to pay forward to the future. And that's my advice because it is possible even for the worst of us. I think we'll table that one for now since we're on a, on a schedule, but uh, good point, Leon. There's a lot of people out there that don't have the luxury of wondering where to put money when they don't have it. And discipline's a bitch. That's up for business news. And jet skis are awesome. They That's right. Fast on the water. Money can't buy <laughs> happiness. But as Daniel Tosh says, money buys a jet ski. You ever seen anybody unhappy in a jet ski? Only when your friends hit you in it. <laughs> well, we were very happy until then. And hitting you has nothing to do with the jet ski. If I had hit you with another motor vehicle, you'd be just as unhappy. But we were really happy until then. Oh, the Bobs. We got a lot of inside stuff. That's one of the classics. Save that one. For, uh, make it a double. That wraps up business news. Let's get to the crank file. I could look for something in the crank file. Crank file. Whatever. This one comes to us from NBC News. Tonight's crank file, National Park Service urges visitors not to lick toxic psychedelic toads. I'd be down for that. I'm going to let that one hang for a bit. It's about time somebody actually said it out loud. (laughs) (laughs) Where'd all these warts come from on my tongue? The Sonoran Desert Toad excretes a toxin through its skin that can make humans sick. Some people have sought it out for its potential psychedelic effects. Like what? Come on, we're gonna we're gonna legalize psychedelic mushrooms in most states. People just hang off. Don't be licking toad ass. While some may be tempted to offer this, what? What do we got? Ooh, the knob twelve. What is that? That's what I'm drinking now. That looks magical. Oh, you moved on. Jesus, gonna be a good loathe. Let's get to it. Oh yeah. While some may be tempted to offer the Sonoran Desert Toad a kiss, the National Park Service urged visitors to leave the potentially deadly amphibians alone. The agency warned visitors on Facebook last week. Facebook? (laughs) Who's on Facebook anymore? On MySpace, they said. Against licking the toads if they stumble across them. It's unclear whether a specific instance prompted the advisory, but here we are, the National Park Service wrote. These toads have prominent paratoid glands that secrete a potent toxin. If you, it can make you sick if you handle the frog or get the poison in your mouth. It might appear strange that anyone would be tempted to lick an amphibian outside of a fairy tale, but this particular toad has been in high demand, according to the New York Times. People have exploited the toad's toxin as psychedelic, smoking it to experience euphoria and hallucinations, according to the Oakland Zoo. The How toxin funny would this be to see being dealt on the streets of New York. This has oh, got man. this look, Yo, fucking Oakland Zoo, New York Times, toad. and the Arizona Sonora Desert Museum have all weighed in on this. This is a thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The toxin is a defensive measure from the toad and can be deadly to other animals, including dogs. The Sonoran Desert Toad, also referred to as the Colorado River Toad, which is what we are on occasion, is one of the largest toads native to North America. 
measuring about seven inches long, the National Park Service said. Robert Villa, president of the Tucson Herpetological Society, told the Times that so many humans taking the toads out of their habitats may put the toads at risk of population decline and extinction. One of the chemicals found in the toad's skin, bufotenin, is illegal to possess in California. But in neighboring Arizona, one can legally capture up to 10 toads with the proper license. Yeah. Well, the good news is they won't be able to count it for months. It's a process. It's a very involved process <laughs> that requires intense accuracy. Because if we just let the brown people vote and count them where they voted, that would be fraud, wouldn't it? Like, yeah, ten, ten, ten is where they got to cap it. Otherwise, it would take forever to figure out how many toads listen, they have. Listen, listen. If we're going to capture 10 toads, vacuum seal them in plastic, and drive them to one single place where we can hand count them under the scrutiny of multiple people to ensure accuracy, then yes, we're all going to get high in one place in one state office. <laughs> people might still be at risk of criminal charges if they intend to capture the toads to smoke their toxins. The zoo warned. Hats off, Leon. You stuck some politics in. <laughs> well played, sir. We're, Very well. We're gonna get we're gonna get well flagged. Played, flagged for that one. sir. <laughs> well played. My hermetically sealed crank file has now become a victim <laughs> to your purple apathy. Anyway, that wraps uh, up the crank file. This one is this next one has been a submission by Leon himself. Let's get to because Florida. Nice, because Florida comes to us from TampaFP.com. Florida man stopped the Skyliner at Epcot after chugging beers at Food and Wine Festival. That is the nice headline. The headline that we saw that prompted Leon to submit this one for the show was, man chugs two beers, pulls his shirt off, and almost dies on the Skyliner. (laughs) (laughs) Call it spin. Same, Same story. Headlines can be misleading. That's why Ground News is a favorite app of the Bottle of Brown podcast. Check it out. The article begins, a Florida man's visit to the Epcot International Food and Wine Festival was a little out of control, according to Walt Disney World News. Okay, pause for a sec. Have you guys ever done the Epcot uh, yes. drink around the world? Uh, no. Yes, I, no. I, I don't know about drink around the world, but yeah, I definitely had a beer at the, the, the Japanese side and the German beer and stuff like okay, that. Okay, so yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause for, for a moment here. We did this before we had children, my wife and I with a bunch of work friends. And it was the most epic, wonderful thing ever. And if we had an Epcot anywhere within driving distance, I would pull you all into a car and we'd go. But getting to Orlando is a bitch. So what happens is you go there and anybody familiar with Epcot Center knows that they have all these little country enclaves around this gigantic pool or lake, as it were. And each of these little enclaves is supposed to be a country-based restaurant. With me so far? Yep. Mm -hmm. On one side, starts with Mexico. On the other side, starts with Canada. Which one do you think you should start with? Canada. Is there a wall? There, there might be by now. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Mexico. Well done. I go Canada. Always start in Mexico because you do mm-hmm. not want to end with tequila. Mm-mm. 
Anyway, let's find out what uh, our man here got in trouble with. Reportedly, the man chugged two beers in less than 30 seconds at the Epcot International Food and Wine Festival on September 10th. The outlet said that Chase Holderby, Florida name, mm-hmm. 30 years old, sounded friendly while in line at a freshman stand, shaking hands and high-fiving everyone in line. But things took a turn when security staff noticed the man stumbling, being excessively loud, swearing, and appearing unsteady on his feet, according to the Orange County Sheriff's Office. According to the report, deputies witnessed Holderby chug two beers in less than 30 seconds in the American Adventure Attaboy. Pavilion in Epcot. Now, two beers in 30 seconds is impressive, but it shouldn't be, you know, not for a man of his stature. He looks like a big dude. It is Florida. a big boy. Well, I mean, we big boy that in college, no problem. Yeah, big once. boy, what? Mm-hmm. Big boy, according to the sheriff's department, uh, got into an argument with a group of people that he was with near the Japan Pavilion, and was warned by deputies to stop making disturbances. Holderby was confronted by a Disney security manager who ordered him to leave the park. According to the report, Holderby placed his oh, finger on the, the Disney employee's chest. <laughs> Wait, I, sorry. You need to leave the theme park. Huh? <laughs> it's not all right. I'm gonna have my dog lick you. Oh, you have too much. Yeah, gorse. You look hammered. That's when Holderby stripped off his shirt and kept asking what he'd done wrong. According to the Orange County Sheriff's Office, Holderby continued to yell and ask what he did wrong all the way up the ramp to the Skyliner. Once in the line, he continued to act belligerent and caused the crowd of people in line to become alarmed. While attempting to get him onto the physical gondola car, he wouldn't initially get in and was dangerously close to falling into the area beneath where the attraction operates. As the disturbance continued, the staff stopped the entire transportation system for Holderby's safety, inconveniencing and delaying all of the riders. Holderby initially entered the individual gondola of the Skyliner, but then began to push his way out to hurl insults at members of security. Holderby was arrested. Freak. What did I do wrong? I'm in the gondola. The duck doesn't even have pants on. The duck doesn't have pants. What's wrong with you people? And where's Goofy's female partner? <laughs> Holderby pleaded guilty to the charges and received a penalty of $273. Arrested for trespassing and disorderly conduct. Isn't that what it is to be a Florida citizen, Leon? Yeah, that sounds I mean, if you don't trespass and disorderly conduct yourself, are you trying? How is it trespassing? Did he buy a ticket? feel like he was not trespassing. I have to say something about maybe stepping in between the gondola was an area he wasn't supposed to go. Hmm. Okay. But I got to say the, uh, what am I doing wrong? And then pulling your shirt off and screaming, what am I doing wrong? That's kind of the highlight. I, mean, I think South Park could nail this. Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought we were in America. I'm sorry. I thought this is the happiest place on earth. I'm sorry. I'm here to get culture. <laughs> and so Chase Holderby, 30 years old of Florida, is our hero of the week. That wraps wow. up because Florida. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get into parenting. We can make kids right now. That's why we're here. It's not the years. It's the mileage. 
This one comes to us from CNN Health. This is a little dark, so maybe we can make some light of it, but there's really not much we can. But this is something I want to talk about because we don't have teenagers yet. But some of you Bobs out there have teenagers and you're dealing with this bullshit. Study finds huge increase in children going to the emergency room with suicidal thoughts. From 2015 to 2019, prescription for antidepressants rose 38% for teenagers compared with 15% for adults. There's been a steady increase in the number of children who are seen in emergency rooms for suicidal thoughts, according to a new study. Increase started even before the COVID-19 pandemic, which brought record high demand for psychological services for children. Pandemic's effects drew renewed attention to suicide in teens and young children. In June, the Biden administration called the recent rise in rates of depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts an unprecedented mental health crisis. Study published Monday in the journal Pediatrics used data from hospitals in Illinois. The researchers looked at the number of children ages 5 to 19 who sought help for suicide in emergency departments between January 2016 and 2021. In that period, there were 81,000 emergency department visits by young people that were coded for suicidal ideation. About a quarter of those visits turned into hospital stays. Study found that visits to the ER with suicidal thoughts increased 59% from 2016 to 2017, 2019 to 21. There was a corresponding increase in cases in which suicidal ideation was the principal diagnosis, which rose from 34 to 44. Hospitalizations for suicidal thoughts increased 57% between fall 2019 and fall 2020. Brewer, who's quoted in the article, thinks the true numbers are probably much higher than what the study found because not all children who struggle with thoughts of suicide go to the emergency room. Experts say it's not a problem unique to any one state. Other places in the U.S. aren't so lucky. There's a nationwide shortage of beds for kids who need mental help. 2020 federal survey found that the number of residential treatment facilities for kids had fallen 30% from where it was in 2012. The new study cannot determine exactly why so many more young people are going to a hospital with thoughts of suicide, but Brewer thinks it may be a combination of factors. Here we go. Many Mm -hmm. of the children who were hospitalized with suicidal thoughts had other mental health problems like anxiety, depression, and substance abuse. Children also are responding to trauma in their lives and social influences on their health, like poverty, historical trauma, and marginalization, trouble at school, online bullying, and the pressures brought on by... Social media. Say it with me, folks. In addition Mm -hmm. to a lack of access to counseling and therapy. Brewer said adults can intervene when a child is thinking about suicide. She advises caregivers to be on the lookout for problems at school or among friends and to watch for a child who is isolating themselves or showing signs of more anxiety or aggression than usual. They may act out or have problems sleeping, irritability, and being more withdrawn and isolating themselves are a lot of things we oftentimes will think about. It never hurts to seek help from a pediatrician about how to help a child who's struggling. It's important for parents to feel empowered to really sit back and listen to their kids and talk to them. Really try to relate and understand what's going on with them and help promote positive relationships. I don't let my kids have social media. I try to limit my own social media exposure. And I think it's affected people in negative ways that are very close to me. And I think that while they're very careful about what they say, I don't think it's just a random correlation that the last 10 years has had a rise in this kind of stuff when social media came to the fore in 2012. You guys have thoughts on that? 
I have a lot of thoughts on it. I think, uh, and you know where I stand on anything that comes, anything close to taking your own life. It's a very serious subject for me. I think mental health in general is a very serious subject to me because I've been affected by it. We've all been affected by it. Uh, and it's, it's for real. It can't be ignored. And I think that there's a lot going on outside of just social media. I'd love to blame social media. I really would. But I think there's a lot of other social influencers that are coming this way uh, that I think that that have an impact. And I, I'm not I'm not trying to make it a loathe one way or another. But I think that, you know, I just I just feel like a lot of everybody blames everybody. That's the culture now, right? Nobody ever owns anything. Like it's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's this person's fault. It's the society's fault. It's this group's fault. It's everybody else's fault, but my own. And then you, you, you're raising an entire group of victims. Like everybody's a victim. And then when you start going into that victim mentality, then you start to, uh, you, you buy into it, right? And 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 I think that combined with another thing, and I, I've said this for, I think we've talked about it in the past. The more and more we migrate into, you know, desk jobs, less physical activity. I think that humans are supposed to be physical. I think that when people were crossing the prairie, like. You got moms losing two children a year and shit like things are happening and people just soldiered on, but they're physically getting their frustrations and their mental like we are supposed to be physical. And when you spend your whole day looking at screens and you're not being physical, you're not being active, you're not doing things. I think the best thing that any parent can do is encourage your kids to be active, get them into sports. We're supposed to be active beings. And we're just becoming less and less active. If you don't have that outlet, and by the way, that outlet can't be non-physical. I'm just going to go out on the limb and say that. It can't be non-physical. It has to be physical. It has to be a sport. It has to be karate. It has to be uh, flag twirling or something. You know, you soccer. have to be able to, you have to, you have soccer, call it, whatever. It, no. This is me. This You, you got to get it out. And I don't think that's happening. It certainly didn't happen during COVID. And I think that's why, and I, I'm not a doctor, clearly. Uh, I, I have no credentials to back this up. But I will say that when you took sports away, teams away, uh, socialization in person away, it's to me not surprising there's a spike and a correlation with suicides because people need to vent and it has to be a physical way of doing it. So. That's my two cents on it. I'll, I'll piggyback a little bit on that. I think what you get with sports is gratification. It's winning or losing, but it's competition and a self of felt like you get a self worth with it. You get that physical, you know, wh whatever little milestone you have in doing so. And that is very true to echo Leon's comment of, it's very important for kids to play and to win and lose, but at least compete. And you gain a lot from that. And if you take that away and they only get to basically get that through now 
uh, a TV show, a social media, uh, you know, they, they just, you, you could fill the day and however you want. And if you're not filling it with things that are positive or whatever it is, or you feel like you're chasing your tail and trying to compete in a social media influence situation, you're not going to do well. Well, and, and, you know, negative, negative things, they, they attract more attention, right? The mm. media caught that years and years and years ago. It used to be the nightly news was a mix of good news and bad news. Then they started realizing people got tuned in more to bad news. Watch any news channel, put on Twitter, put on anything you want to. Almost everything is going to be negative, 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 negative. Nine out of 10. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Like nine out of it's, 10 negative. You got one. Enragement out. increases engagement. Yeah. And, and uh, it, it, it's, you know, that's clickbait. You know, if it, the only thing positive out there that is clickbait seems to be porn. Other, you know, I, I mean, not positive, <laughs> but meaning like, Good point. like negative hatred. Yeah. I mean, it's like, hey, look at this hot consensual person, porn. man or female, right? You know, then, oh, positive. I'm going to click on that. But other than that, it's not like, hey, look at this person who won the Nobel Prize. You're like, I, I don't care. Oh, oh <laughs> tell me about this guy that. Jump, drank two beers and then jumped off Epcot's circle or ball or whatever. But I think that there's there's just a lot of issues right now and will continue to grow when all you're doing is taking on negative information all the time. Um, and and it's not okay to lose or fail, right? Because the the stakes are too high from a social standpoint. Mr. Jones, you played baseball a long time. Yeah. Did you yeah. ever did you ever lose a game? All the time. Did you I, ever make an error? Still, how are you still here with us today? Oh, I think that you know, the, yeah, it's the it's the I competition. It, you win too. That's the beauty. Right. Right. I mean, the, I'm a, I am a Columbus Blue Jackets fan and I I'm a Dolphins fan and we are I am very used to being a loser and <laughs> It makes me a better person, and I think that uh, it's okay to lose. And it, you're also an Angels it, fan, just like I. And it, it's yeah. been oh god, it's been yeah, dark. it's one. been very dark. It's, it's been, been dark. And it's been you know, dark. hey, you, the, there is there is truth to the old adage that you learn more from failure than you do from success. And I think that here, here, uh, that is getting that is getting flipped on people that fail don't understand that that's a learning opportunity as much as. Uh, you know, you need to be ashamed. Uh, you'll be publicly shamed. Social media will shame you. People will turn on you. And you can't face the reality of being a failure. And I think that contributes to this as well. I mean, there's just when you can't see success, right? And you can't see that positive and, you know, thumbs up and hearts and, you know, whatever, whatever the hell social media platform you're on and, or your friends patting you on the back or, you know, telling you you're pretty or telling you you're athletic or whatever the hell it is. There's just a lot of damage out there right now. And, uh, and it's sad. And I, I would love to know as a parent, because I went through it, luckily when we went through it and I feel like is one of those, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But how do I instill that in my child? How do I put that shield around them? Because it's coming, right? Yeah, I don't know if you can. I, it's, it, 
Yeah. All I can do is when, when, you know, you, you know, my daughter is just the most uh, outspoken, most precocious little thing in Orange County. I don't know where she gets it from. Yeah. Where, where, where did she come from? She's got personality. She's got sass and she won't let anyone tell her what to do or how to do it. And I'm okay with it. And I'm not going to try to curb it. And I, I am just trying to wrangle it. Uh, And there's, there's a lot of power in confidence, but there's even more power today in humility and it just doesn't exist. So uh, that's, that's what I think you need to do your best in, in helping people understand that. So. Well said. Um, I'll tack on one last thought, which is not in conflict to anything you guys have said. I think the, the physicality of sports, the competitive nature of sports is an excellent thing. You need to win. You need to lose. You need to realize that losing is a learning opportunity. You need to get out. You don't see kids on the soccer field, with their phones in their hands. So obviously you're getting them away from screens. You're getting their blood pumping. The part about social media that I don't like is it forces comparison. Now, if you have an opportunity to use and curate a social feed for news, culture, interests, and you have the way to, to kind of juice the algorithm to find things that you like, for example, we have uh, kind of a going Instagram thread right now between the three of us where we like to share jokes and it's really funny and we really enjoy ourselves. But that's because we curated our feed with stuff that we want to see. I don't particularly care about what my peers are doing, whether or not they're successful, whether or not they're rich or pretty or wealthy or whatever. I don't care. What I like is drunk guys playing golf. I like a little bit of news. I like a little bit of politics. And I like the things that make me laugh. And I love movies and I love pop culture. And I'm sure everybody that does it right has a curated feed on their social media that only feeds them the content that brings them joy. Unfortunately for children, at that stage of their mental and emotional development, they're constantly comparing themselves to somebody else. And the only thing you post on social media is when you're doing well, by and large. And I think occasionally there's opportunities to show the bad in in the world, but for the most part, I think kids compare a lot more than adults do. And that's why social media is a danger. So there is a very, very distinct correlation, in my view, between social media screens and the way that kids are evaluating themselves against the world around them. And so this Mm -hmm. is a horrible statistic. And I really hope that the culture shifts or that we can make choices now with the new generation, or maybe it's just the pendulum is swinging one way or the other. And at some point people will get off it and they'll move on with their lives. And I do see that social media companies are laying off because they're losing revenue because they're losing daily active users. And I think that's a good thing. So if there's any Bobs out there working at a social media platform, I feel for you, but sorry, not sorry. That's right. all I have to say on that. Well said. That wraps up parenting. Let's get to the bottom of the bottle. This bitch is empty. Yeet. Uh, this is personal love. Uh, anger point of mine, although I'm benefiting from it. So I can basically laugh at you guys all day long. Daylight savings time only present in the States of Arizona and Hawaii. 
The rest of you fuckers around the world, with the exception of a few international countries, have to set your clocks, lose sleep, lose your mind, lose productivity. Kids are worse off at school. All of it is bad, bad, bad. Which brings to mind one reason why we're skeptical and cynical and questionable of the government here at the Bottle of Run podcast. A groggy Senate approves making daylight savings time permanent. Legislation that passed unanimously would end the practice of setting clocks back one hour in the fall. Its prospects were uncertain in the House. This article dates back to March of this year. But because we just turned the clocks back, I thought it was relevant. After losing an hour of sleep over the weekend, members of the United States Senate returned to the Capitol this week a bit groggy and in a mood to put an end to all this frustrating clock changing. So on Tuesday, with almost no warning and no debate, the Senate unanimously passed legislation to do away with the biannual springing forward and falling back that most Americans have come to despise in favor of making daylight savings time permanent. The bill's fate in the House was not immediately clear, but if the legislation were to pass and be signed by Biden, it would take effect in November 2023. And do we know where this bill is now? Oof. Into the ether. Hmm. This is the last time without a daylight savings time resolution at the federal level. I believe you boys in California figured it out. We started it and then had to go to the federal level, right? This is the last time, right? I I do. California passed a state statute. It hasn't passed yet. Three states. It's not done. Not at the federal level. No, but you guys, you guys may have a state Um, thing going on. I don't think it's done yet, but it has to, but I thought the federal level has to basically incorporate it. You can't just, uh, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. No, it, it, it became, hasn't signed it yet. It became no. the law of the land on a federal level when Lyndon Johnson signed the Uniform Time Act of April 14th, 1966, which is when it became a federal law to move the clocks. Uh, states retain the option of remaining on standard time, but only two were bold enough to do so, Hawaii and Arizona. Everybody else fell in line with the Uniform Time Act. This bill passed unanimously by the Senate. I want to say that again for you in the back row. Unanimously by the Senate. And it's gone nowhere. Oh. Call Does it have to go back to the House? house or? The House no. just needs to vote on it so Biden can sign it. I, I, I feel like finally something's bipartisan that everyone will agree on. All you bobs out there, get angry and call your house representative because your Senate representative did their fucking job. Daylight savings time, the most loathed of things. We have ourselves a unite the parties. Am, am I the one person in this conversation that likes daylight savings? Like, probably. I guess. think it's a probably. good thing. You're yeah, probably I'm the only one on the planet. Yeah. So it, are we saying that the time we're currently on is a time it'll always be or the time Standard that we just time. came from? Standard time. The time we came from. You, got, you guys are on standard. From. You guys are on standard, standard right, right now. now. So the standard time you're on right now would stay that way. Yeah, that's the time I like. Oh. Yeah, I, thought the other, I thought it was the last time. No. no daylight no. time goes away. It would effectively be standard time for everybody. Yeah. It will so fall mountain back will be mountain. And never go away. That's right. That's what he's saying. That's right. And that's amazing. There's no spring forward. Oh my gosh. That's exciting. The time stays the time year round. I don't know what to say. 
I'm I'm but, definitely like the one person that likes daylight saving, but yeah. I it is what it is. <laughs> Sometimes that's enough, Jay. Yeah, that's all it is. Anyways, that's our show. You can email us at bottle of brown at gmail.com. Call us at 602-529-4562. Leave a message for Danny, Leon, or Mr. Jones. Give us ideas for content or please refute anything we say on the show. We are not experts. We are drinking and talking. We would love it if professionals gave us a message and said, you guys are stupid and full of shit. Here is my source. Till that day. If you like the show, please like, follow, subscribe, share with a friend. We're on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share a drink with us next episode. Same brown time, same brown channel, bottleofbrown.com. This place is dead anyway, man. <laughs>